0: This Faith and Finance podcast is underwritten in part by Christian Healthcare Ministries. Are you finding it increasingly challenging to find affordable healthcare? Christian Healthcare Ministries is a budget-friendly, biblical, and compassionate healthcare cost-sharing alternative that aligns with your Christian values, and it's available in all 50 states and around the world. Learn more at chministries.org/faithby
1: And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Luke 12, 15. I am Rob West. Jesus told his followers to be wary of materialism, but we're all guilty of it from time to time, wasting money on things we don't really need. I'll talk about six of them today, and then we'll take your calls at 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. This is Faith and Finance, biblical wisdom for your financial decisions. Okay, before we get into the specific money wasters, there's a general principle you should be aware of. If you're buying things that provide only a temporary sense of satisfaction, you're probably wasting money. Doesn't matter what it is. If it's not a necessity and you grow bored with it, it was a waste of money. Check your closets, for examples. (laughs) Now, I'm not saying you should take a vow of poverty. The Lord wants us to enjoy the resources He's given us, but that must be tempered by the principle that we're merely stewards and we need to use His resources wisely. But, of course, we live in a culture that promotes spending. It's a big problem. One survey showed that the average adult spends around 15 $1,500 a month on non-essentials. No wonder so many Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. Imagine what that kind of money would do if it were put into savings or invested for retirement. All right, let's look at our six money wasters for today and what you can do about them. The first is one of the biggest, but also one of the easiest to fix, not preparing your own meals. It's okay to eat out occasionally, but too often it's just for convenience and not really necessary. By some estimates, a restaurant-prepared meal will cost you three times what you would pay for the same meal cooked at home. Money waster number two, upgrading your smartphone as soon as a new one comes out. For example, the iPhone 14 could cost you as much as $1,600 or lock you into a long contract if your carrier provides it. Eventually, a smartphone will have to be replaced, but the longer you delay upgrading, the more money you keep in your pocket. This year's red hot phone is next year's discount model. And you have to ask, just how smart does your phone need to be? Most of us don't use the features we have now. Okay, number three, clothing is another biggie. Wearing the latest fashion is expensive. By some estimates, the average American spends nearly $2,000 a year on clothing. And in a few months, whatever you buy will probably be out of fashion. Clothes do wear out and need to be replaced, so you have to include that in your budget. But those spending decisions should be practical, not a way to boost your ego. Money waster number four, buying lottery tickets. The ads say you can't win if you don't play, but that's nonsense. You definitely will win if you don't play. You'll get to keep your money. You have better odds of being hit by lightning twice than winning the lottery. Plus, you don't want to participate in something that disproportionately hurts the poor. A bank rate report found that low-income households spend as much as 13% of their income on lottery tickets, far more than higher-income earners. Okay, number five, extended warranties, especially for automobiles. It's now a $40 billion a year industry, and it's really just an expensive form of insurance that you probably won't need. So instead of buying an extended warranty, do your homework to make sure you're buying a quality item to begin with. Most will have an adequate manufacturer's warranty anyway. And then make sure you have enough money in your emergency fund to cover any repairs you might need to make. And our number 6 big money waster is your cable or streaming package. If you're still paying for cable, it could be as much as $200 a month for internet and TV. Do you really need 568 channels? More and more folks are dropping cable and satellite TV and using only streaming apps, but even there you can waste a lot of money. A new survey by Finance Buzz showed that a quarter of households have at least 3 more streaming apps than they had last year and One in 10 reported they have no idea how much they're spending on streaming. So keep track of what you're watching. And if you're not getting your money's worth from an app, drop it. That's one great thing about streaming apps. No service contract. Drop it anytime you like. Okay, those are your six big-time money wasters. I hope you find this helpful. And by the way, the best way to identify how you're doing in each one of these categories is to live on a spending plan, and the FaithFi app can help with that. You can download it on our website at faithfi.com. All right, your calls are next, 800-525-7000. I'm Rob West, and we'll be right back. Stick around. We're grateful for support from Guidestone, whose diversified suite of investment solutions align with Christian values to create positive change in the world. More information is available at GuidestoneFunds.com. Investing involves risk, including potential loss of principal. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of Guidestone Funds before investing. They're distributed by Foresight Funds Distributors LLC, which is not an advisory affiliate, a registered investment advisor, nor do they provide investment advice. As a faithful
2: listener of this program, you know that there's life-changing financial wisdom in God's Word, and FaithFi is here to help you and millions of others learn to be good and faithful stewards. As a nonprofit organization, we rely on help from monthly FaithFi patrons, supporters of this mission, to help us continue and expand our outreach. Has God provided financial answers for you through this ministry? If so, consider becoming a monthly FaithFi patron. Visit faithfi.com and click Give.
1: You're listening to Faith and Finance, where we talk about how we handle God's resources. How are you using God's resources? We're talking about it, and the lines are open to take your calls and questions. 800-525-7000 is the number to call. Let's head to Calhoun, Georgia. Hi, Sonia. How can I help you?
3: Uh, Hi, Rob. We we have a rental house, a house that we've had for about 11 years that we've used as a rental property, and we're going to be selling it. And we're just, I've listened to you a lot, and I think I know the answer, but we, um, we're wondering about the capital gains, uh, especially on our federal uh, tax form, if those will be added and taxed as along with our ordinary other income, or are they taxed differently?
1: It is taxed differently, yeah. So uh, how long did you own this rental property?
3: Eleven years.
1: Okay, yeah. So if it's more than a year, it would be a long-term capital gain. So if you're married filing jointly, uh, the the long-term capital gains rate, if your income is between eighty-nine thousand and five hundred and fifty thousand, would be fifteen percent. So whatever the capital gain is, you take the selling price minus the cost basis minus any improvements that you made to the property. Uh, that would be your gain. That gain would be subject to a fifteen percent capital gains tax, not ordinary income, but a capital gains tax. If you had income between eighty-nine thousand and five fifty, if you're below eighty-nine thousand two hundred and fifty, the tax, capital gains, long-term capital gains rate is zero.
3: Okay, and we are. We're below that. We're retired and living on a sort of fixed income, so we are. And I thought that that was the way it was understood, but then something made me think that they were going to add the gains to our income, then determine our income then use the tax rate. So I just wanted to make no, sure ma'am. on that.
1: Yeah, completely separate uh, from your taxable income. So the, the capital gains rate is determined by your income, but the gain itself is not income. So uh, that will not be factored into your uh, your taxable income for the year.
3: That's perfect. Do you know right off the top of your head, being from Georgia, uh, if the, that Georgia taxes, how it taxes those capital gains?
1: Uh, you will, let's see, in the state of Georgia, you will uh, have capital gains. um, And I'm not sure what the current rate is. I think it's somewhere below five and three quarters percent, but uh, there would likely be the same kind of income thresholds there. Um, So I would suspect you may be under that, but I don't know offhand. I would check with your CPA on that.
3: Okay. That sounds great. Thank you so
4: much.
1: All right. Thank you so much for calling today. We appreciate it. Uh, Let's head to Colorado. Hi, Nancy. Go ahead.
4: Hi. Yes, we own our own home. And lately there's been advertisements to say you need insurance like LifeLock because people are taking loans out against your house.
1: Hmm. It's like
4: identity theft. Is that a wise idea?
1: Yeah, you're talking about what's uh, generally called title theft insurance, which really isn't insurance at all. What they're saying is that folks can fraudulently uh, retitle your deed in their name, then take out a loan against it and then they would have no, you know, uh, ability probably or willingness to repay that loan. And so then uh, the bank would attempt to foreclose on your property because of non-payment. The problem is that's not enforceable because it was a fraudulent deed transfer. And so nobody can really protect you, quote unquote, or provide insurance against this possibility that somebody could uh, fraudulently, uh, you know, t- transfer your deed. Um, so, what you would probably just want to do is monitor your deed status on your own. Most counties allow you to do that uh, either electronically. Some counties will even let you set up alerts. But paying someone for this quote-unquote title theft insurance uh, doesn't make sense to me because they're really not providing any insurance at all, and it's something you can do yourself. Okay, thank you very much. Love your program. Well, thank you. We appreciate your call today. God bless you, Nancy. Uh, To Florida. Hi, Gloria. How can I help you?
4: Oh please, thank you for uh, taking my call first. Uh, God bless you too. Um, you know, I I am trying to um, do some research for long term care. Yes. For when you are getting older, you know, have insurance, you you know, be prepared for that time. But you know, I trust in Jesus, and I know his his. He's with me all the time. And I know he's going to take care of me until I am with him. And I don't know. I am not sure if that's a good to do it or not.
1: Yeah, I I like long-term care insurance, Gloria. If there's going to be something that, um, you know, erodes your assets in this season of life, it's most often going to be the need for long-term care. Seventy percent of uh, Americans 65 and years and older will need long-term care. Around 20 percent of those will need it for longer than five years. Um, And it's very expensive, you know, the average cost uh, for a a nursing home stay in in the United States is about $7,750 for one month. And that number rises to about $9,000 for a private room, you know, per month. So that can erode your assets in a hurry. And so long-term care insurance obviously is the way that you offset that. Now premiums can be expensive. I mean, they vary widely based on your health and your age. I mean, it could be, uh, you know, for a 55 year old man, $1,700 a year, for a three-year policy that covers a daily max of one hundred and fifty dollars, uh, and and then they kind of go up from there. A couple fifty-five might pay three thousand uh, dollars a year for a combined policy. You know, I would say up until age sixty-five, it might make some sense. But I think the key is to make sure that you can afford it, including premium increases down the road. Because if at some point you can't afford it and you have to drop it, it's done you no good. But if it fits into your budget, I think it can be worthwhile to offset what could be a major expense in this season of life. So what I would recommend is you find a long-term care insurance agent, somebody who specializes in this, who could find a policy and see if it fits your budget. Thanks for calling, Gloria. God bless you. Eight hundred five two five seven thousand. Quickly to Plantation, Florida. I know it well. Uh, hi, Aiden. Go ahead.
0: Hi, I, um, yes, I'm Aiden. Thanks for taking my call. I was just calling. It's kind of a a quick question. Um, I've been married for about, we're going on three years now, newlyweds. We're in our um, late twenties. My husband's in his, going into his fourth year of medical school. So we're accruing a lot of debt, but really just trying to get smart with our money. Um, my husband comes from a home where his dad's a financial advisor. He's been 20 plus years. He's a Christian. Um, my father-in-law, He's very, very wise about everything he handles, you know our retirement, our um life insurance, all those type of things. But my question is now I come from a background where I don't have a lot of money background, I don't know a lot about money. I just like, okay, take it, do with what, what you need uh, but I kind of am starting to try to get a hold of things and learn about it and be on the same page with my husband and The thing that we're kind of coming to a crossroads to, and my question for you is, do you think it's wise to go to our father-in-law with all of our stuff and say, here, this is what we want to do with our future. We want, you know, home, kids, all these things. This is where we're trying to go with our money and our life. Or should we go to a non-biased, maybe more neutral financial, financial planner?
1: Mm, Wow, that's a great question, Aiden. I love that you're really being thoughtful about this. I'd love to unpack this a bit more with you. Unfortunately, I'm up against a break. So if you don't mind and you've got a moment, I'm going to ask you to hold the line. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about whether or not to engage your father-in-law as your financial planner or is it wise to get a neutral third party? Stay on the line. We'll be right back on Faith and Finance.
4: Hey, Greg, I need some advice. Oh, what's up? I'm really struggling with finding ways to cut back. With costs going up, especially in healthcare, what do
1: you guys do? Oh, uh, we use CHM, Christian Healthcare Ministries. It's a health cost sharing ministry that's been sharing members' eligible medical bills for over 40 years. Sure helped us stick to our budget. Hmm. Uh, here's the website chministries.org. C-A- C-H-ministries.org.
2: We're grateful for support from Eventide Investments on the Faith and Finance Program. Eventide's approach to values-based investing is grounded in the belief that humankind was created in the image of God, with intrinsic dignity, value, and worth. Eventide calls this investing that makes the world rejoice. More information is available at EventideInvestments.com. That's EventideInvestments.com.
1: Thankful to have you with us today on Faith and Finance, where we apply the wisdom from God's Word to your financial decisions and choices. The question on the table to have your father-in-law as your advisor or not? That's Aiden's question. She and her husband uh, have been married for three years. They're just starting out in their financial life and uh, they have some investments and some insurance and uh, they're wanting to continue to be well-planned and have somebody, a financial professional who's working with them. It just so happens that Aiden's father-in-law has been in financial planning for over 20 years. And so her question is, would that be a good idea or not? Uh, Aiden, I definitely have some thoughts on this, but I have a few questions first. Uh, first of all, what is your husband's take on this?
0: I think it. his first take is just like he would not trust anybody more than his father just because, you know, he, sure. he his father comes from a Christian perspective, so he's already trying to do right by people, by God's yeah. word, but even right. so more so when he set his children up for financial success. Yes. So he's 100% and I totally on board get for it.
1: Yeah. Has he left the door open, though, that, you know, Aiden, and I realize this, it may be better for somebody else to be holding us accountable for our financial decisions. I mean, has he acknowledged that that may be not the best thing, even though you both have great respect for his dad?
0: I think that's harder for him because, like I said, he trusts nobody else more than his father um, because he has seen how successful he's been with helping people. But I think I'm more so the one that's more fearful in this because it's just like, you know, I guess the boundaries of marriage and dreams and all those types of things. So we're kind of at a, you know, trying to pray about it and figure out, okay, Lord, like, can we lay down and work with my father-in-law or should we go to a more neutral position?
1: Yeah. No, makes total sense. And then last question, uh, Have you has your father-in-law weighed in on this? I mean, for instance, if you all use somebody else, do you think that would create a strain? Has he been pushing for you all to work with him, or do you feel like he would be fine no matter where you land?
4: No,
0: I think he would be 100% fine and respect that.
1: Okay. Very good. Well, so my take is this. I I think I would rather see you not Work with your father in law. You know, there's the financial mechanics that come in with uh, working with an advisor, the person who's helping you pick out the insurance policy and managing your investments and, you know, running calculations to determine, you know, what your projections will be and how much you need to save for retirement. But then there's all the other stuff, which is really the real value of where advisors serve their clients. And that is asking the right questions and really helping them navigate, you know, where God is taking them and holding them accountable accountable to the decisions hey you all said you wanted to accomplish these things now let's look at your spending and how is that lining up and do you need to cut back and maybe even asking some hard questions and somebody for you you know to uh, turn to you know in this equation as you and your husband are working together um, you know to to bring into the uh, conversation and I just feel like with that being your father-in-law as much as you respect him and as skilled as he is it's probably just not not the best fit uh, for you guys just because you want to be completely transparent and open and you know, if if his one of his key jobs is to hold you all accountable to the goals that you've set up, is that the best role for your father-in-law or is he somebody that really should just be on the outside praying for you, encouraging you, you know, giving you some wisdom along the way when you ask for it but not the one necessarily every quarter asking the hard questions and hey, you said you were going to do this and why did you spend that kind of of thing I just don't know that sets everybody up for success in terms of relational harmony and uh, you know pursuing God's best. Does that mean it's wrong if you don't if you decide? No, absolutely not. I don't think there's a right or wrong decision here. I just think my preference would be that you all go to a neutral third party.
0: Thank you. That's very beneficial.
1: Okay. Hey, uh, let us know how it turns out if you'd like. And uh, we appreciate your calling today. I realize this is challenging, so I don't minimize it in any way. And I'm delighted to hear, Aiden, that you said you and your husband were praying about it. So I think if you conclude that, you know what, that is how I feel. I would, in love, go to your husband and just say, listen, I've been thinking about it, I've been praying about it, Uh, here's my position, but I want us to make this decision together, and so if we're not aligned on it, let's take a couple of weeks before we land on it, and let's just pray about it separately, and let's come together until such time as we have unity here before we make this decision. So keep that door open for you guys to work through this together. I know you're still young in your marriage, but I'm confident uh, the Lord can allow you all to get uh, unified on this one. It's an important decision. Uh, So, take your time in making it. Thanks for calling today. We appreciate it. Uh, Let's head to Pennsylvania. Diane, go right ahead.
4: Hi. I recently had to leave my husband because of abuse toward myself and my teen son. Mm. Um, We had nowhere to go, but my mom lives in a facility and we have not sold her house yet. My son and I moved in there just to have an immediate safe place. I'm not sure the ramifications of living there. I have some physical disabilities and work part time. Um, I make about eighteen thousand a year, so obviously, I can't pay a lot of rent. Um, I know that she would be happy to let us live there, but because she has dementia, she can't give that consent. Right. Um, I'm being told that this could be a really bad thing <laughs> because of I guess some some ramifications with Medicare.
1: Yeah. Uh, Do you have other siblings, Diane? I do. Okay. Have you talked through this with them?
4: Um, They are actually, unfortunately, estranged from the family, and only one is part of my mom's will. And yeah, I can talk to her about it.
1: Okay. Well, first of all, I'm so sorry to hear about the situation that you've been in, and I'm glad to hear you're in a safe place that's what's most important, uh, but I think moving forward you you ought to be thoughtful about this, obviously, your desire is to honor your mom's and wishes um, you know you've got to think about other heirs and just you know siblings, at least you know those who you are in communication with because they may have strong feelings one way or the other, given that this is your mom's home and and she can't give this consent for you all to live there, uh, just given her mental capacity. Um, you know, there are certain rules here. I mean, Medicaid won't take your mom's house while she's in a facility. However, all of her other assets are subject to recovery by the state after she passes. Uh, in most cases, the home can't be transferred to an adult child without violating the look back period on Medicaid, although there is an exception known as a caregiver child exemption or a caretaker child exemption, which allows the transfer of the home to an adult child without violating it. But in this case, again, she doesn't have the ability to even do that. So I would consult with an estate attorney just to find out exactly how you need to proceed here, because obviously you don't want to jeopardize in any way your mom's standing. I don't think you will, but I would get that legal opinion. And then obviously, once you know kind of legally how you can and can't proceed, then you obviously want to talk to your family members and just kind of work through this together, having a a conversation about where things stand. And if the fact that you all want to hang on to this home anyway for your mom, you're not ready to sell it and nobody else wants access to it, somebody living there and maintaining it's actually a good thing, but I'd have that conversation with them. I appreciate your call today. We'll certainly be praying for you. Well, that does it for us today. I'm Rob West. Thanks to our amazing production team and to you for listening. I hope you'll join us again next time right here on Faith and Finance.
2: Faith and Finance is provided by Faith by and listeners like you.